you have to be there in five minutes, yet you're still at home and it's a seven-minute drive. And you're still at home because you can't find your car keys. What's going on? You're looking in the freezer. You're looking in the fridge. You're yelling at your spouse because you're certain they were the ones that had the key last. Now you're heading down to the wash machine to see if they fell out of a pocket in the washer. You could simply say, basically, there's chaos in the house. And then your spouse is yelling at you. The kids are sitting in a cold car. Well, who would ever do that? Can you have that scene in your mind? Can you imagine what's going on in your heart and in your mind? It's a lot of anxiety. It's a lot of stress. It's probably maybe some anger towards someone or anger in general at yourself or, even as absurd as it might sound, anger at the keys themselves because the keys should know better. You see, when stressful times come, we start to do weird things. A campfire, a marshmallow, no clock. Does that scene bring a little different feeling? Does that image give you a little different experience? Is there anywhere better than a campfire? For some weird reason, people start sharing at a campfire. And at the same time, for some weird reason, people can just sit silently at a campfire as well. Two vastly different images. Chaos on the home front. You're going to be late. Contentment at the campfire. Which image or which scene best describes your soul this morning? Which image, which scene best describes your heart this morning? Your mind. Your life. Would the picture of chaos looking for the keys best describe your soul? Or would sitting by the campfire with a marshmallow best describe your soul? This morning and this week, we celebrate that there should be one of those images that describe our soul and describe our hearts. Not only should, but we celebrate that one of those images can describe our life, the image of the campfire. Because this week we celebrate that the promise of peace has come. We celebrate that the promise of everlasting contentment has come in a person, Jesus the Messiah, who was born long ago. This promise for peace is hundreds, if not thousands, of years old. We read from the prophet Micah this morning, which probably would have been at least 700 years before Christ's coming, if not up to 1,100 years before Christ's coming. We read this prophecy that we read almost every Christmas, that most people would agree foretells and describes the coming of Jesus, mainly because it mentions Bethlehem. But what we find in this promise is that this promised peace comes from an unexpected source. See, there's lots of trouble when the prophet is giving this message. Mainly what's going on is at this time, Israel is separated into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. 
And when this message is given, the northern kingdom is about, if not already, to be toppled. The big brother on the block that we've talked about before, Assyria, is knocking on the northern kingdom door. They're basically ready at any moment they can come in and they can take over the northern kingdom. Things are not well in the northern kingdom when they receive this message. There's no sign of peace to come. Not only is there no sign of peace to come, at the moment there's not much peace being experienced even though Assyria hasn't toppled them yet. There's not much peace because the wrath of the Lord is coming in a variety of ways. Yet, the Lord brings this interesting promise of peace. Well, the people that received this message actually never experienced the peace promised. A lot of times when you read the prophets, that's what happens. They give a message, and the people who receive the message actually never get to experience the promise. Well, one could wonder then, well, is God just trying to throw out and building up the people's emotions, trying to kind of just whip up his people to an emotional state of goodness by these prophetic messages? If, if they didn't have any meaning for the people that were given to them, what's the point? No, these prophecies had direct meaning to the people. These aren't just crazy ideas for the religious crazies to speculate upon. No, no. Prophetic messages from God's messengers were serious words that were meant to move God's people to action. Whenever a prophet gave a word, the point was that God's people would respond, even if the promise was not fully realized. The promise was meant to bring about faith, and then faith brings about obedience. Prophetic words in the Old Testament, we sometimes read them as though they're for us. They were for the people of God, Israel. The promises that now come through Jesus Christ, we get to experience the blessings and we can learn from the prophetic words that are given. My Hebrew professor used to say it this word, this way, Bible prophecy isn't entertainment for the curious, it's encouragement for the serious. Prophetic word is not just meant to cause speculation, it's meant to cause a response from God's people, a response to the promise that God delivers. And the promise that God is bringing through Micah is really one word, peace. This promise is peace. And if you look in Micah 5, now we see a little bit weirdness of how the peace is going to come. The peace is going to come not from Jerusalem, not from the center of activity. The peace is going to come from Bethlehem. You and I know Bethlehem as this great tourist attraction that everybody wants to go to now to see. You and I know Bethlehem because we celebrate Christmas. Before Christmas, Bethlehem was pretty much unknown outside the nation of Israel. Bethlehem was just this small little tribe. You could say Bethlehem was kind of like that small South Dakota town that basically just had a post office, a Methodist church, and maybe five residents. It was nothing. There's no power in Bethlehem. There's no commerce or trade going from Bethlehem. Yet the prophet says what? The peace is going to come from Bethlehem because God has a different way of working than the world. God can bring peace from where he chooses. It's a sign. 
It's basically a, a sign saying, hey, this is how you know it's the Messiah. Not that he's going to come with great power, but that it's going to come in humility and from the town of Bethlehem. The peace which God promises comes from an unexpected source. That source is Bethlehem, and then ultimately that source is the Messiah who comes from Bethlehem. If you have your Bible open to Micah chapter 5, look with me, if you would, at verse 4. Gets right to the heart of the matter of who's going to come from Bethlehem. To describing the Messiah, it says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Notice the emphasis on the Messiah on what he's going to do, on who he is. A great shepherd. It's in the strength of the Lord. And then notice also what? He's going to be great to the ends of the earth. This Messiah who brings peace is not just for the northern kingdom. This Messiah who brings peace is to go to the rest of the world. Something so great from some place so small. And then finally notice, the source of the peace is the Messiah himself. It says, and he shall be their peace. That is the promise. The promise given is that the Messiah is going to bring peace. They never realized the promise or got to experience it, yet they were asked to respond to the promise. How many... Many of us know the famous words out of Micah. Really, the only verses we know out of Micah are this, Micah chapter 5. Or the other verses that we know out of Micah is the famous phrase, and what does the Lord require of you? To act kindly, to with justice, and walk humbly before the Lord your God. That's the command given to the people a couple of messages later after chapter 5 that they're asked to respond. So in a sense, they hear the promise, and then they're asked to respond to the promise. How are they to respond to the promise? Walk in kindness towards one another, extend justice, and walk humbly with their God. God expects a response when he gives a promise. We can learn, we hear here just a minute, the promise has been given to us. How are we responding to the promise of God this morning? Are we just responding and once a time a year saying, oh, this is great. We get together with our families once a time a year. We got an excuse to have paid time off of work, free gifts. This is fabulous. That's not the response God desires from God's promise. God desires a response of faith, of continuing to walk humbly with him continually. So the promise of peace is given and then in Luke chapter 2 that we read just a few moments ago, the declaration of peace is made. We all know it. It's famous. The angel says, glory to God in the highest and peace to those on whom God's favor rests. In other words, the angel saying, hey, the peace is here. The peace has arrived. So now that we've got it, we know peace is promised. We hear that the declaration of peace is now through Jesus Christ. I think this morning it's appropriate to ask, how can I have this peace? How can I have this calmness of heart? How can I have the campfire and the marshmallow rather than the lost keys? 
how can I have it? This morning, I would encourage us to think about three things that can move us towards experiencing this promise. The first thing is this, is we have to understand the promise. Understand the promise that's given. We can just read Micah 5, and if you read Micah 5, you can read it and go, this is never happening. This hasn't happened yet. I mean, Micah 5 makes it sound what? That Jesus is going to come, all other armies, all other evil is going to be done away with, and all is going to be well. Well, anybody knows, since Jesus is coming, all has not been well. There's not a time in history when all was well. All was quiet and silent on all fronts. So how can we possibly experience this promise? As we've talked about before, the prophecy is not fully realized yet. It's fully realized in the complete coming of the kingdom, but it can be realized today here for us because the presence of Christ is here among us through the Holy Spirit. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Jesus is preparing his followers for his departure, and he makes a couple of sayings in here in different spots that help us understand the promise. John 14, verse 27. John 14, 27. Jesus says to his followers, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is saying to his followers, hey, I'm going to give you my peace. But notice what he says here. It's a different kind of peace than the peace that we normally talk about. When we talk about peace, we usually define peace as the absence of conflict. That's how the world defines peace. If there's no conflict, then there is peace. Or the world brings about peace through what? Strength. You achieve peace by what? Conquering others and then establishing boundaries. That gives you your peace. Being stronger than the other allows you to be secure. And at the heart of peace is what? Security. You can't have peace without security. So the world usually gains security through military strength or through economic strength. Jesus is saying here, I'm going to give you peace, but it's different than the way and the peace the world gives. The peace that Jesus gives to us now is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jump up with me to verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is saying, hey, after I ascend, I'm going to send, the Father is going to send the Spirit of God. The Spirit is going to be present with you. That's how you can experience the peace that I've had. Jesus is promising his peace for his followers. This is not worldly peace. This is personal peace. The heart that is calm. A heart that even in the midst of chaos around it can still be calm and experience goodness. Understand the promise that the peace of Jesus is different than the peace of the world. It's achieved differently and it's a different type of peace. So after we understand the promise, we've got to adjust our expectations. Here's one of the biggest challenges we face as Christians. Some of us don't have biblical expectations for life. We've got to adjust our expectations. We, we think, oh, hey, get Jesus, all is going to be well. And then what happens? When all is not well, the, our faith crumbles. 
We memorize a verse that says, God has got great plans for my life, plans to prosper and do well. And when we don't prosper, what happens? Where's God? Because our expectations are not driven from God's Word, the teachings of Jesus. We've got to have appropriate expectations for our life before the return of Christ. And appropriate expectations would be very simply this. Trouble is coming. Trouble has come. Trouble is here. You can basically just say one word. Appropriate expectations is trouble. We should expect trouble. We should not be surprised at all when things go badly here in this world. We shouldn't be surprised at all because we know the presence of sin around us. We know this sin in our own lives. We have to have expectations, appropriate expectations. Jesus talks to his followers multiple times and says, hey, persecution is coming. And basically just says flat out, you're going to be persecuted. Things are not going to be all well physically and government and economically this side of the kingdom. So there's going to be trouble. Do you have appropriate expectations? And you're like, oh, that's good message, Pastor. Thanks. See you next week. All's going to be horrible. Thing. No, this is reality. This is part of the mystery of the Christian life, that we understand the depth of sin. We understand this in-between period that we're in right now, that there's going to be trouble. But at the exact same time, we understand and experience peace. That even in the midst of the trouble, we can have peace. John chapter 16. If you're still in John, you can turn with me there. John 16, verse 33. Again, this is where I'm picking out little sentences here from a message, a teaching that Jesus was giving his followers. But this theme of persecution and peace is found throughout. He finishes this message, John 16, 33, and he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus, again, very frankly saying, hey, trouble's coming, trouble's here, but guess what? You have my peace, and I've overcome the world. This is a radical statement. Jesus is basically saying, the trouble can come, but guess what? None of the trouble can conquer. Jesus. None of the trouble can rob you of your inheritance in Christ. Nothing you do, nothing that's done in society can put Jesus Christ back in the grave. And can't emphasize this enough, that no matter how crazy it gets, no matter you're like, oh boy, our country's going down the pot, they're teaching weird things in our schools, everybody's starting to say weird stuff, nobody believes the Bible anymore. Guess what? Jesus is still king. You can teach all the weird stuff you want. Militaries can rise up all around the world. Guess what? Nobody can conquer the work that Jesus has done. Nobody can put Jesus back in the grave. He is still king. No matter what you're taught, no matter what you experience, nothing can rob you of your inheritance. This is why we can have peace today because we have the peace from the Prince of Peace who has conquered all evil, the greatest evil that no one else has even claimed to conquer. So today, in our hearts and in our minds, we have to understand the promise 
We have to have biblical expectations of what is to come. And on a very practical day-to-day level, if we want to experience this peace, we have to adjust our vision. We've got to set our sights on the one who is eternal versus setting our sights on that which is temporary. If you want to experience peace from the Prince of Peace, you've got to keep your sights focused on the Prince of Peace. And when I say sights, I don't mean literally our eyes. I mean our thinking. I mean our hearts, who we are on the, the inside. We need to meditate upon not the things of this world, but upon the eternal one, Jesus Christ. We read this morning in Philippians chapter 4, Famous verses that all of us probably know. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything. But make your requests known to God so that the peace of God may guard your hearts. In other words, he's saying this. Hey, hey, hey. Keep your vision on God. Make your requests known to God. Because then what? You can experience the peace of God. And then the final verse, Philippians 4, 7, put your mind on that, that which is noble, that which is truth, that which is good. The Apostle Paul's not just like, hey, I need some things to write at the end of a letter. No, the Apostle Paul is giving God's people instruction, exhortation, saying, hey, do this. In other words, soak our minds in eternal things, eternal truths that are found in God's Word. We read our Bibles. We open the Word of God so that we can meditate upon things that are eternal. We meditate upon the Word of God because that puts our vision on Jesus Himself. We've got to adjust our vision a little bit. And we have to adjust our vision now before it gets worse. The worst time to try and adjust your vision is when? When the bad stuff happens. Because when the bad stuff happens, Nobody's really strong enough then to pull themselves up by their bootstraps during that time. You've got to be constantly in the Word of the Lord. So what? When the bad stuff happens, you've got your vision set in the right place. You're prepared. Now is the time to get our vision in the right place. If we want to experience the peace that's promised at Christmas, we have to understand the promise that it's a peace from Jesus. It's Jesus' peace that we experience. We have to have biblical expectations that there's going to be trouble. Circumstances around us are going to get worse, maybe get worse, maybe get better, doesn't matter, but we've got to have biblical expectations. And then ultimately, we've got to adjust our vision. We've got to become saturated with the one who is the Prince of Peace. This morning, we've sang the song that most of us have probably sung at some point in our lives. It is well. The question for all of us this morning is, is that the expression of my soul? Is that the expression of my heart? That it is well. When Peace Like a River is one of the most popular songs sung at a funeral. Why? Because people want peace at that time, very practically speaking, and it just elevates our thinking. 
More than that, though, it's sung because it's true. That even when you're staring at a casket, a follower of Jesus Christ can still say, it is well with my soul because the Prince of Peace has conquered the grave. The Prince of Peace has come to us and lived a life on our behalf. Therefore, we can say, it is well. Next time you lose your car keys, and it's going to happen. Next time you lose your car keys, what's going to happen in your heart? Or forget your car keys for a moment. Next time your coworker steals a job from you. Next time a good friend treats you poorly. Next time you lose on an investment. What's your heart going to say? Is your heart going to enter into chaos? Or is your heart going to say, going to sing, it is well with my soul because I have the peace of Christmas. I have the peace of Jesus Christ, the Messiah who has come and the Messiah who has conquered on our behalf. May the peace of Christ be with you now and always. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your promises, and we pray that your promises would move us to action today. We acknowledge that oftentimes we've ignored your promises and we have not trusted in them. Today we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would grant us the ability to trust and the ability to respond in faith. This morning, Lord, I lift up and I pray for anyone that's gathered here in our midst that has troubling circumstances in their life right now. God, I pray that you'd capture their hearts and their minds. And I pray that today you would elevate all of our thoughts to the promises that are found in Jesus Christ. God, thank you for making it well in our souls. Thank you for conquering the grave on our behalf. Thank you for coming to us. We offer ourselves unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue to worship this morning by coming forward and being reminded that Jesus came in the flesh. The ultimate reminder that we have of Jesus coming in the flesh is the bread and the wine. It reminds us that Jesus Christ came and lived a human life, that God did not stay far, but rather God came near to us. So we celebrate communion this morning, and at communion today, I want to encourage you to use communion today as a time of remembrance that God came in the flesh, that God came to us and lived a perfect life on our behalf so that we can be forgiven, we can be renewed, we can be restored. Jesus gathered together with his followers the night before he was betrayed, and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the cup in my blood shed for you and for the forgiveness of the whole world. Do this in remembrance of me. As you come forward today to receive Christ's body and Christ's blood, but encourage you to acknowledge to God your need for forgiveness, to acknowledge to God your need 
for him to come and live among us so that ultimately we can live with him for eternity. So right now I just want to take a moment to silently prepare our hearts and our minds. I'll open us in a time of prayer and then ask that you would take a few moments for silent confession unto God, asking for God to renew your heart, renew your soul this morning, giving you the ability to trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Let us pray.